I had intense fear and panic because we were obviously crashing. Out of my heart came the thought, oh God, help, I'm going to die. From the time that they pronounced me dead was uh, a good 45 minutes. It's determined that I was not breathing for 20 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. About 20 past four in the afternoon, by half past seven, I was dead. Clinically dead, four minutes. And they were crying because I was dead. And I was trying to tell them, no, I'm, I'm not dead, I'm just fine, I'm okay. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I started to feel like I was surrounded by all this warm, loving, beautiful, soothing, loving energy. I'm back with God again. I just felt this almighty release, like, wow. I'm back. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. I'd come back home. It was a very strong feeling that I've come back home. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine, absolute love and peace. There wasn't anything else to be felt. And light is literally emitting from him. And I could feel that that tremendous amount of love was coming through him as well. They were brighter than everybody else. And... I just knew who they were. We would like to welcome onto the show with us today, Robin Peterson, who's over in the beautiful mountains of Colorado. Robin, how are you today? I am doing so fantastic. I'm so excited about all the things we're going to talk about today. And it happens to be beautiful, which is fantastic too. It is beautiful here too. It is just a absolutely glorious morning today. Um, before we get started, I think I'll warn our listeners just a little bit. This is going to be an unusual interview today. Normally, we are digging deep into people's near-death experiences and talking about all the little details and that kind of thing. Today is going to be much more about how to interpret those. And for people that have had NDEs and don't know how to process what they've been through that's much of what we're going to be talking about with Robin. And would you mind giving us a little bit of your background? Absolutely. So how I kind of gained a lot of traction um, was years ago, right before the Japan earthquake and tsunami, um, I had predicted that and positioned myself. Um, and because of that, people were starting to inquire certain abilities, capabilities, and gifts that I had. Because of that... I was being featured all over Discovery, CNN, National Geographic. I was in every type of documentary about the second coming, Armageddon, the Mayan calendar, and I became kind of an expert in that, um, mainly because I had some seer capabilities, meaning I could see things from the past, current, and future, especially if I hyper-focused on that. And then I also have a lot of training. So I'm a holistic doctor. I'm a homeopathic I have a specialty in quantum physics. I'm a survival instructor. I'm a firearm instructor. I've extensive training and sniper training and all kinds of things. I would prepare people for catastrophic events. But as I was doing all of that kind of behind the scenes with the government and large organizations, corporations, people would hyper-focus on the doom side, not the doom and gloom, and never wanted to hear about the beauty and the miracles and the blessings that I was seeing with all of these experiences. So I kind of got out of that industry and started to focusing more on the healing side and focusing on the miracles. 
And through that, which was in the last 10 years, I really started to develop a capability in spiritual protocols so that people could have the same experiences, the same gifts, the same visions, the same ability to see in past, current, and future. So I started um, training people on how to open up their third eye to be able to have revelation, visions, dreams, prophecies, and then go into spiritual gifts. If people want to have face-to-face contact with their heavenly family or what we call God, things like that so that they could. Because I always believed that there was nothing special about me. I think that everybody is capable and deserving, and it is something that is bestowed upon them if they invoke it. So I've had some very sacred, very deep, profound spiritual experiences, especially in the last 15 years when I started to really inquire of these profound, above us, higher things um, that we're talking about. And so as I was having my own experiences, I started to develop in a way where I wanted it on demand. And so that's when I started to create the protocols, how we could get there, how I could get there, how I could train others to get there. So that's kind of that in a nutshell. Thank you. And by the way, that there's way more than we can talk about today. And we will put uh, links in our show notes of how people can get a hold of you and find further information on some of these things. I'd like to start with people that have had a near-death experience specifically, um, since that's what mostly is on our show here. And one of the things that I find as I'm talking with these wonderful people who are sharing with us is that it's very difficult to process what they've been through. There are a, a really high number of divorces, for example, with people that have had NDEs. Uh, I, I don't know the reasons why. Uh, I don't know that anybody has really studied that specific thing, but I know that people are often changed. And so let's talk a little bit, Robin, about how do people process a wonderful experience like this that they have had? Well, I think where the, the challenge is, is when you've had a spiritual experience like this, which I, I can understand because I've had them too is what happens is everything that was in your core belief, whether that was as an atheist or a Christian or any type of religion, it doesn't matter, now just got shaken at its core. Everything you thought you knew, everything you thought you believed is now different in seconds. And on top of that, you have this profound information that is now, now you're unrelatable to the rest of the world, including your partner, which is isolating, scary, and lonely. And then you have nobody to talk to about it because they can't relate. And some of the things that you might say will also shake someone at their core of their foundation. So you have to be very selective. You have to be able to explain it. You want someone to connect with you on that level or you're going to feel alone and reject it. And especially if the people, if the first people that you share with call you crazy and tell you to just be quiet. Oh, absolutely. And the only reason they're doing that is because they don't want to be shaken at their core. Especially like if somebody believes in God and they're a Christian or they're LDS or whatever it is, and they really feel that they know God and you're telling them something different they have to reject that for their own sanity, their own core beliefs. Our core beliefs is our programming. That's like our core processor in our computer. 
we can't rip that out and still go on every day. But for a person who has an NDE, that's what's happened to them. Their whole core processor of their computer has been ripped out, but they're supposed to just keep living, keep processing, keep going and computing, and they can't. And then for their closest friends and family, or even their minister, their bishop, their this, to, to back off and then again isolate them, that is, that's a crisis. So now they just had this incredible, beautiful experience, typically. Some of them had to go a little dark for a minute, but usually it's, it's always a beautiful experience one way or another. Then they go into this darkness of the world of the rejection and non-relating and isolation. It's almost, and I could see where some people can go into this place like, God, why have you done this to me? Why have you shown me all these things with no interpretation, no understanding? I can't talk to anybody about it. Now I'm alone and you're not giving me the multiple confirmations of what I'm interpreting. But there is a way. There is a way. And unfortunately, it's just not being trained or taught to the world. So what are some of the tools that might help them? Well, first, you know, I think that there's this misconception, especially if you're a believer, that we've been taught to be humble, content, and praise for what we have and what we've received. Instead of inquiring, almost demanding more, asking for more, and seeking more. So there's a big difference there. Because humble means like you're not inquiring in a way. You're not seeking. You're not asking more of God or the world or whatever. It's kind of like waiting upon the Lord kind of feeling. But humbleness is really about being teachable. And when you're teachable, so for instance, everybody has dreams. There's normal dreams. And then there's a dream that you have that's just different. You know it's different. It's almost like a warning. It's kind of prophetic. It's showing you something that's a little supernatural. Now, everybody has those. The most majority of the population, you would say, but I don't know what it means. Very similar to what a near-death experience is. So whether it's, you know, a 10-point magnitude and a near-death experience or two or three in a prophetic dream, they still don't have the understanding. Very similar. But this is how God and the universe or your heavenly family or whatever you want to call it. We all have these different titles, okay? But this is how it works. We get something and then they see how we react to it. Are we inquiring of it? Do we want more or did it overwhelm us? Did we dismiss it? Did we just say, hey, cool, thank you. That was an awesome dream. And then we moved on and didn't think about it again. That's the difference. So when you have an experience, it's an opportunity. It's like a door being opened up to you to inquire. But what's cool about God and our whole heavenly families, which some people label as our spiritual teams or spirit guides, all of it, it's all, they're all in a delegation team together. When that door is open, we have an opportunity to inquire, to seek, to ask, to get revelation, to ask for the capacity for our brains to expand so that we can understand. We can ask about very specific symbols, lights, things that we saw, things that we experienced, things that we felt individually, one by one, what they mean, and then ask for more, ask for a more understanding. But it needs to be line upon line. And most people believe that they'll never get the answers. They'll ask God maybe one time, and if those answers aren't coming, then they kind of just give up and feel like it's going to be a mystery of their life. 
And then on top of that, if you are religious and you go and talk to a minister or a bishop or your preacher, they don't have the answers for you either. So you'll typically hear things like, you know what? It doesn't pertain to your salvation, does it? So it really doesn't matter. Let's just focus on what really matters. And that's a way of justification or a blow off to you because they don't have the answers either. And then you give up again. So I would say it all starts with believing that you can inquire and get more. You don't have to have a near-death experience to have that same experience again. And the cool thing about a near-death experience is it now just opens something up in the brain physically to where you can now produce higher levels of DMT in the brain, which is in the pineal gland. And in that capability, you can now learn how to produce even more levels of TMT instead of dying to do it. And so there are some spiritual protocols that you can do that take some practice. You know, the more you put into it, the better it's going to be. But really, everybody has that capacity, but not everybody's willing to put in the work and experiment. And if I may just add something to this, I think sometimes it's beneficial to just be able to discuss this with somebody that can relate to it and be completely non-judgmental about it. And a good place to find others like that is on the IONS groups, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Um, and they have groups all over the country. And most of these, I've been to some of them, are just wonderful, again, very non-judgmental people that it's good, you know, it's kind of a shoulder to cry on type thing. And I think that can be helpful emotionally as well as the spiritual side that you're talking about. Absolutely. I was just going to say that all of my clients who do like my spiritual awakening classes that are trying to have these experiences or get confirmation about those experiences, I always put them onto group chats and um, they all have each other's contact. I have group chats going on still to this day from over 10 years ago because they have all become best friends. They can talk about things with each other that they can never talk about with their spouse because they are now relating, they're bonded together and they can give multiple confirmations to each other. Now that's the key. Confirmations are way more important than even the experience itself. And I'll give you an example. If God comes to me face to face, that is a pretty profound experience. Like almost everybody in the world would love that, okay? But a month later, my human self is going to go into doubt. I'm going to question it. I'm going to wonder if I was hallucinating. I'm going to wonder if I am being deceived. I'm going to wonder if I um, have a mental illness. If I made the whole thing up, was it just a dream? Or maybe I had a fever. All of that stuff is going to come into play and you're going to doubt so this is why the scriptures say that we need a first, second, and third witness. So let's just look at witnesses more of a confirmation. I need multiple confirmations that that was real, that that was true, that what I saw, what I felt was real. And that's why it's so important that people in those groups connect because A, they can confirm, B, they can share a little missing piece of the puzzle. In my spiritual awakening classes, when I'm teaching this, how to open up the third eye and, and expand your levels of DMT in the brain, I teach them how to test things in the quantum field. So teaching how to test things if they're of truth and light. Are they real? Are they 
of discernment, are they of 100% truth? Am I asking the right questions? Things like that so that you can get one form of confirmation and then you can get a confirmation from God, your heavenly family or others, um, that kind of thing. But it's really, really important to get those confirmations. And I think if people would learn how to get those in multiple ways, they would be better off because even if their spouse or their minister is telling them, no, that's crazy, you, you know, you were dead. How do you even know? Or maybe that was just something you saw in your mind or whatever, then you would back off. Whereas you could get multiple confirmations and you don't need their confirmation because they're not aligning to you and they can't relate to you. That makes sense. Tell me about children. Is it any different with how we can help them process what they've experienced? I think that children don't have a difficulty processing the way that adults do because they don't have all of the baggage, the trauma, the belief systems of the world, of their schools, of religion, their trauma and defeat from their parents, things like that, that are restricting parts of the brain. So they can interpret things very basically, very simply. Whereas an adult's like wanting this it to be complex. They're wanting it to just be like this big bang kind of like story. Whereas a child can interpret it very easily and simply. So I think that they're pretty well, but also I think if they need companionship in that, especially as they get a little bit older, then again, I would connect them to people that were in that age group that got a little bit older as well, so that they have a different friend group. And this is what I call our tribe. These are our tribe. We, so we have friends and family that not necessarily are in our tribe and people need to be very clear about that. We love them. But they're not our tribe sometimes. It's definitely spiritually and intellectually. And so we have to find our tribe. Even if we had one or two in our tribe that we felt bonded with and connected with in these spiritual experiences, we will be okay. We can process. So it's not any different from a, an adult or a child. Yeah. And one of the things also that I hear from people who had an experience as a child is back then, I just assumed this was normal. You know, like everybody, you know, uh, has an out-of-body experience and goes to heaven and comes back and like no big deal. But then if they tell it to a parent or a teacher that says that basically tells them they were crazy and that didn't even happen. Now, now there's some a little bit of damage that can be done. Oh, absolutely. When people are having these profound spiritual experiences... What happens is some of the things that you're going to see and feel and experience is completely opposite of what this world is teaching. The evidence, the tangible evidence that this world is showing you. And then on top of that, it's going to be opposite of what religion is also teaching you. And so at your core of who you are, you know this is true. And then when somebody like a teacher or a confidant or a parent or a minister is saying no because they can't relate and they believe they're right, then you now question everything at the core of what you know to be true. So let me just interject. You, you said this is going to be, you're going to learn things at the opposite of religion. Aren't there some things that are harmonious? You know, the fact that there is a God and an afterlife, things like that. Oh, absolutely. But the, think about the, de, the definition, okay? Because the majority of, if you talk to a Christian, they'll say, 
I'm a God-fearing man. I'm waiting for the Lord's will. I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm servant. I'm obedient to God. You know, words like that, okay, for instance, or and God is judging. He knows every sin, every goodness, um, every bad thing you've ever thought, even just language like that. And then you go and experience God. That's it's going to be completely opposite because you're going to feel the most neutral, loving energy that is contradicting to that definition of God that the world is teaching. That's the problem. And you're and but I also want to say this, depending on what your belief system is, what you've been taught you will experience a level of that so that your brain doesn't go on overload. So for instance, if I believe that God is on a golden throne and there's all these angels and what heaven kind of looks like, my NDE might start there. This white light and I see God on a throne. So because my brain has to be able to conceive what's happening. And then all of a sudden, once I'm there and I understand what's happening, I'm connected God might come off that throne and have a one-on-one experience with me. But he maybe you couldn't start with that one-on-one experience because your brain needed to say, this is where I'm at first. This is what it looks like for me. This is what it would feel like. And then once you're there, he'll take you to a different level. And then that's when you feel all the stuff. That's when you can see other themes. But all of that is going to change your definition of what God is and what the, what the world is teaching that God is. Because of the feelings you're getting, which is non-judgmental, which is very neutral. He's not a guru that needs to be praised and worshipped. He's so relatable with you. It's almost like you guys are partners in such this knowing of a relationship. And that's very casual and very neutral, which is a hard thing to comprehend. And it's a hard thing to explain to other people. Okay. I have a couple more questions. This one I think you've touched on just a little bit already, but I but I want to ask it in a different way. And that is for someone who has not had a near-death experience but thinks, oh, that would be so cool. I need to have that. I need those gifts. But they may not have that opportunity anytime soon. What do you say to them? You know, this is a dangerous game. I have a lot of clients who have said to me recently that they wish or they've been praying for a near-death experience so that they could have these similar experiences. And I also see a huge influx of people that are going to do DMT, ayahuasca, shrooms, microdosing, which means that people are desperate for a spiritual connection. And what I want to say is that an NDE or an ayahuasca journey is not going to make you interpret. It's not going to make you understand. It's not going to establish that spiritual connection because you can't just go do ayahuasca for eight hours in a village somewhere with some shaman and think that you've established connection or that your brain's going to be able to have the capacity to understand what you saw and what you experienced. Just like an NDE, they can't process it. They don't understand. They can't explain everything. So what the real moral of the story is, is that people need to learn. This is a muscle. And if I go to the gym and I've never worked out before, I need to learn good form. I need to learn how my muscles work. I need to learn the the way that each muscle group and what exercises I need to eat right. I need to train. I need to dedicate to this. 
and my muscles will grow and develop. They'll become toned and strong. So this is the way that people need to be looking at the spiritual connection that they're so desperately seeking. And what's also interesting about that is that it's always evolving, meaning we should be looking for upgrades in our religious beliefs, our communication with God, our definition of God, because you're always going to start out on the lowest level. And that level sometimes you think is all enough. And then one day your prayers, your scripture, your church isn't cutting it anymore. It's not feeding you anymore. And because you're taught to be complacent, you're taught to be humble, to stick it out, you know, all those things, people get kind of stuck there because it once worked for them. It once was true, but you have to look for those cues when you're no longer spiritually growing or being fed. And so that's when you keep seeking and you go to a different level and you keep going and going and going. Now, I can teach someone how to get there in four days. Absolutely, I can. Four weeks? Absolutely. As much time as you will give me, I will give it to you as fast as possible. Because where that came to be for me is when I had my first face-to-face encounter with what we call God and what we call Christ, two separate beings, everything about me would do anything to get it back. Anything. I was almost addicted to it. I wanted anything I could do to feel that presence, to feel that energy, to see that knowledge, for my mind to be in awe again, to have 100% confidence in myself was the most profound thing. To have that neutral energy with God was profound. And so I kept trying to duplicate it. So I can totally understand why an NDE is just wishing and wanting to have a similar experience and people who have never had it are doing the desperate measures because I was there too. I kept demanding. I kept trying to duplicate. Was it my positioning? Was it this? Was it the words I said? I mean, anything to try to get it on demand. And so I was seeking, seeking. I was going into the woods. I was fasting and praying by myself, camping in high mountains, almost demanding of God to show me more, to get me more, to interpret these things. Let me have this another experience. Why are you giving me it this one time? And then you're not going to give it to me again. It's almost like dangling a carrot in front of my face and saying, ha ha, don't you wish you could have that again? But you won't. And so this anger starts to drive in you because you don't understand, but you want more. This is a powerful place to be. And people often feel almost, uh, gee, almost a morning. Like I felt this amazing love. And now it's gone. And I miss that so horribly. And that's not easy to deal with either. It is. It's a loss and a longing. And most people, and again, it goes back to the humbleness, you know, like we don't know God's will, you know, we don't know why God takes lives. We don't know this. And it's because people don't have answers. So it's a justification. So you are trained to kind of give up when you can't get the answers to wait upon the Lord. It'll be revealed to you. Just be patient. But what I want to say is in that moment of longing, when you start to feel the anger of the loss, that is a moment that can propel you forward. It's an energy and a frequency where you can seek more if you don't give up. So I finally had it out with God about this. And I'm, I'm a brat with God, just so you know. Um, I'm never complacent. I'm always kind of demanding. I'm very direct. And when I'm angry, I let it be known. And so 
for me personally, the most revelation I've ever received was when I have it out. When I have it out, when I'm yelling, I'm demanding, I'm questioning everything. That's when profound channels can actually open up because your frequency, your intention, your momentum in that energy of your frequency is, is propelling you to receive. After I had these experiences, I want to be clear, I was able to continue to hear God audibly, but I couldn't demand or duplicate having the face-to-face encounter. That's where I was frustrated. So yes, I should be you know, lucky and count my blessings that I could still have audible connection. Sure. But I wasn't because I'm a brat. I wanted more. So I'm having it out with God and audibly he says to me, Robin, you know, a lot of people feel this way. A lot of people, a lot of people are asking and seeking the exact same thing. I'm going to teach you some spiritual protocols and you're going to create the spiritual awakening class. I'm going to show you how to increase your levels of DMT in the brain and we're going to experiment. And so that's kind of where it all came to be. I did like three experiment trials with a bunch of people to see if it was legit because I'm a brat and I test God all the time. (laughs) And the scriptures tell you, you should, you know? Well, yeah. Is that really a test of God or a test of our own faith? Well, it's both because you're, you're trying to discern that I'm not being deceived. And when you think like when the world is telling you, a that's not God or, you know, I didn't interpret it correctly, or the minister or the prophet or the apostles have more revelation than me, then I have to test God. And in testing God, I'm testing my own discernment, my own spiritual connection. And this is the dangerous ground that we're taught not to do. But for our own survival with having these NDEs and having these spiritual experiences, these outer body experiences, we have to do that. But this world is teaching you not to. So questioning, you know, even what he's saying to me, I was still wondering in my own self-doubt, my human doubt that maybe I was making all this up. Maybe I didn't really even have this experience. So I had to push that boundary of what my definition of God was, because now it was so different from what me as a gospel teacher. I was a gospel teacher for 15 years. And having a, a, an experience face-to-face with God in two minutes, just in two seconds, everything I'd been teaching and everything I thought I knew about God had changed. So yeah, I had to test God. Absolutely. Well, and I think when we do that, whether you call it testing God or testing ourselves or whatever we want to call that, I think one of the reasons it works so well is because our mind is now open because we are saying, teach me versus I know everything, I'm prideful and shut down. We're in a, in, a, in a place to be teachable. But there's one thing to be taught because I can show someone something, right? But if they don't know how to trust what I'm saying to them is true, if they don't know how to discern, then there becomes a bigger issue. And if God is showing us something, no matter how big of a truth it is, we have to learn. It's not just him teaching us something. It's us learning of the confirmations that it's true, that this is actually God. I'm not being deceived. That's the biggest, the biggest hang up for people. Yeah, that's a very good point. Okay, let's go in a little bit different direction. 
I, I I may need you to speculate just a little bit, but it does feel like there is sort of a spiritual awakening going on around the world. We have people in over 70 countries listening to this podcast, for example, and you mentioned people, you know, doing mushrooms or, gee, I read Steve Jobs' biography a little while ago, and he said, everybody should do LSD once in their life to have this spiritual awakening. We're not condoning that. What The question is, why do you think this is going on and, and what's happening? Well, I think first it's become trendy. And when more people are speaking about it, and plus we have more you know, social media platforms and podcasts talking about it. I mean, Joe Rogan is one of the number one podcasts. He's amazing, but he talks about it a lot. So you're hearing it. And they're talking about these profound experiences. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to preach that those things are bad, but what I will say this is that every single person that I've helped in those experiences afterwards, during whatever, what I want to say is that they are so far out there that they have reached a, a level of sight or an experience but it never established the connection that they were seeking. So it's really about what is your intentions? What's your intentions? Do you want to just have this amazing experience, just like going on a vacation and then you come home and you go back to your normal life? Then sure, I can understand that. But if your intention was, I want to know what's beyond this world. I want to know what's beyond this dimension. I want to know truth. I want to feel if God is real and the connection that God has to all things. That's a different intention. And you're not going to get that from ayahuasca, DMT, shrooms. You might get a, a feeling, but it's just like going on a vacation and then you come home and you go back to your normal life. So what's the intention? Are you looking for something that's life altering that is now a part of your practice, a part of your, your memory, a part of your programming, a part of your now way of life? Then there's better ways of doing that. So let's just say I reach a level of enlightenment, okay? I had this profound experience. I saw God. I saw the heavens. I saw the eternities. And then I got to go back to my normal life. But I'm in this, you know, enlightenment now. Okay, great. Now you're alone. What does that serve? You want to stay in your meditation and in your spiritual awakening and your enlightenment? Well, nobody can relate to that. You're now alone. Your friends don't want to talk to you about it because it's too woo-woo. So what did that do for you? How are you serving yourself, your family, or the world in any capacity when nobody can relate to you or want to talk to you about this? Because, But you, the things you're saying sounds cool. And that's what people, like when they do these mushrooms and they do all this meditation, they get really woo-woo far out there, but they're not grounded. And they want to stay in that energy. But it's like, what, what did that do for you? So again, it has to be all integrated. We live in this world and this world is not up there in those higher dimensions. So you have to take that knowledge of what you got in higher dimensions, what you got with God, which is a higher dimension, and then be able to live in the world. Does that make sense? And most people yeah. can't. Yeah, it's something that we need to learn how to do. And it's something that we just, you know, it's going to happen to us whether we figure out a good way to do it or not. Okay, let's take an even bigger shift now. Okay. You promised we could talk about this. Let's talk science. Oh, I love science. Okay. 
I've had multiple people that have been on this show talk about uh, when they were in the spirit world, they learned quantum physics from start to finish. They understood the universe and vibrations and all of these things. And when they came back, they knew that they had learned it, but they couldn't really remember it. Now they may have picked up a book on the topic and learned it quickly again. How does quantum physics, the quantum field, the quantum realm, I, I don't know, use your terminology. How does that fit into all of this and what the heck is it? <laughs> I always say quantum physics, it's for smart people to know how God does it. Okay. I want to know that. Okay. I don't know if I'm smart, but I want to know that. Well, people who are very analytical, um, engineers, people who have a little bit of autism, who are very brilliant in their minds, don't under, because the things of religion that they're teaching about God doesn't make sense to them, the order of how things are taking place. So that's why we say like quantum physics is a way for really brilliant people to know that God is real and how he does it. Okay. Or they do it. So I'll explain it like this. Okay. Let's just say that the quantum realm or the quantum field is what Christians call God's eye. Everything exists, all the knowledge. He knows everything. It's the knowing. Okay. Now in that realm, we'll call it the quantum realm. Everything is floating around like wave particles. That's what they are. They're wave particles. Everything's a wave. And in that it's what the scriptures call matter. Matter unorganized. Okay. So when, let's just say I'm trying to manifest something like I want a new truck. I want that truck to look, look a certain way. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, Oh, I really want that new Bronco that just came out. Okay. So in the quantum field, if I hold that thought for 16 to 18 seconds, that's the key. 16 to 18 seconds, those wave particles start to wave around even more. Their momentum speeds up. And so they start to vibrate. And then other wave particles that are in that same alignment will now join the momentum. Now, some wave particles don't align to that new truck. And they're not even in that frequency. So they'll bounce off. So now let's just say you've got a million wave particles vibrating so fastly together because you've been holding on to that thought for 16 to 18 seconds. What happens is they wave so much that they recalibrate each other and they become a solid. So a wave particle now just became a solid. Now what happens when it creates a solid is you just now planted a seed in the quantum field. You just planted a seed in the all-knowing of God. Now what happens when you plant a seed in this world? Say I'm, pl I'm planting a flower and I plant a seed. What do you do? You water it. You make sure it has sunlight. Right. And you nurture it. Good soil. Nurture it. Yep. Right. So the way that you water and plant and nurture a seed in the quantum field is you do it again tomorrow, 16, 18 seconds. You ponder about it. You get even more description. Now, the way to speed up that planting of the seed is you can amplify it with prayer, with God, your heavenly family, your spirit guides, because they're of supernatural power. They're an amplification to this. Okay. So they can speed up the process. It's kind of like giving it even more sunlight with no storms. Okay. So now the seed starts to sprout. It's starting to grow. And when it sprouts, this is string theory. So it sprouts from the seed, the solid goes wave particles, solid, 
seed gets planted, now it's sprouting. It's sprouting from the quantum field into the physical dimension. When it gets into the physical dimension, that's when you see it. So people are getting really caught up in like the word manifesting, but they don't know how manifesting actually works. And this is the science behind that. Now, that is how you can manifest things in the quantum field. This is just quantum physics. They can see this underneath a microscope so that you can understand. But this is the basic way. It's the same thing with the scriptures talking about matter unorganized when this world, this earth was being created. Okay. It all started with the thoughts. Then it went to spiritual energetic. Then the, the words verbally. Then it went to the physical. That was the process from quantum field to the physical manifestation of it. Another way of, I want to talk about quantum entanglement. If Robin sits next to Sally for more than 20 minutes, our energetic fields are going to do the exact same thing those wave particles did. We're going to start to vibrate because she's a little bit different than me. So it's recalibrating my energetic field and I'm recalibrating hers. This is why you become who you hang out with. This is why if your friends are broke, you're broke. You're not that much above them. If you want to be a millionaire, you hang out with millionaires. You hear stuff like that all the time, but they don't know why. Okay. They think it's mindset, but it's not. It's quantum entanglement. So if I sit next to, to Sally for 20 minutes, my vibration starts to vibrate so much. And hers does too, that we start to spin around each other in the quantum field. And then we we recalibrate each other. So once it's recalibrated, we stop spinning. She got a part of me and I got a part of her. This is also why all things are connected because we're constantly recalibrating each other. Anytime we get introduced to a new quantum or an energetic field or spirit or anything, it's going to recalibrate us and we're going to recalibrate it. It becomes a part of me. I become a part of it. That's quantum entanglement. That's how women's menstrual cycles get aligned if anybody has a wife and daughters especially if they have more than one daughter it can be real tough in the household during a menstrual cycle because they're all in the same cycle i have four daughters i remember those years yes and if you're a coach or something and you have a female team you're like oh my goodness how could this be how could they all be on the same cycle at the same time everybody's pmsing at the same time and it's because of this. It's a pheromone, but it's also a quantum entanglement. That's why they're aligning to each other. So let me ask this question. We're getting away from the cycles here, if you don't mind. But the quantum entanglement, as I'm trying to understand it, the person next to us, that person and I are sort of recalibrating to each other. Now, what if I want to go to the state prison and spend some time with people that are incarcerated to help them to lift their spirits, whatever. Does that mean I'm also being drugged down to their level? Well, let's not use the language drugged down. Okay. Because that would be a judgment that you're placing that they're in a worse place than you, but they actually could be further along in this spiritual exaltation than you are. So, but yes, to answer your, your question bluntly, you will be recalibrating them and they will be recalibrating you. That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing because everything is all connected. If we're all connected through energetic cells and my brother who's in prison is one of our weakest links in the human race, let's just look at it that way. 
Okay. If he's our weakest link, I can never rise to my full potential if he doesn't. So if he, if I can even raise him two levels, then I can go two levels and I need to be able to recalibrate him to recalibrate me. And I also on a mental level, I need to understand where they're at. How did they get here? So that I can understand and have neutral energy, which is really Christ energy or God energy, that neutral energy and how this happened so I can relate. So that's a very beautiful thing. It doesn't mean that they have to pull you down and drain your energy. Now, that does happen for people because they don't know how to A, process that. They'll take on the burdens of others and then they'll feel like garbage. They'll feel down and then they'll avoid things like that. But I also want to mention going back to why so many NDEs have divorce is because they just got really high calibrated with the spiritual experience, God energy, higher dimensions. And then they come back down and then they're talking to their spouse and their spouse is recalibrating them. And they're like, no, I can't do this. I can't go back. And then they, they go on this journey of seeking somebody that will be alignment to them. So this whole thing of needing to recalibrate, if we feel drugged down, being around the presence of someone at this, how did you call it? Lower calibration. Mm -hmm. Let me just use an example. You tell me your thoughts on this that I read recently um, in the Bible. So uh, Jesus is uh, criticized for being around sinners, but he spends time with sinners. He spends time with people that are sick, healing them. And then if you notice, there's kind of a pattern. After he did a bunch of this, he would then go by himself up into the mountains for a few days or a few hours anyway. Um, was he doing that to recalibrate himself back to the higher level that he's comfortable at? Yeah, he was filling up his cup. Yeah, and so maybe that's a good example of what we should be doing. We shouldn't be avoiding... And when I use the prison example, I'm sorry if that was harmful to some people, but I but I just wanted an extreme example of let's say there's this horrible axe murderer and and I want I want to try to do something good and go lift him up. But then afterwards I may feel like I need to go spend some time lifting myself back up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to give some examples of that, okay? Yes. The way that we can do that is instead of trying to manipulate, there's a different forms of manipulation. There's good manipulation and bad manipulation. Okay. I'll give an example of good manipulation. Let's say I'm a church member and somebody in my congregation is ill and sick. And they're like, hey, this person could really use some meals brought in. And I'm the first to jump on it. And I have this, let's just say a 30, 40% a subconscious belief, well, I'm going to prepare this amazing meal. People are going to know how righteous I am. She's going to think I'm a great cook. Um, and people are like, oh, Robin brought in meals for her. So I'm getting an ego boast. That's a good form of manipulation. You don't have bad intentions, but you have a little bit of manipulation. Okay. Same thing. If I go to a prison and I think that they're in a, a mind space where it's not very conducive to their potential. Okay. And I'm trying to manipulate them to, to think the way that I think that would be a form of manipulation because I want them to be better, do better, feel better. 
Okay. Now, the better way, and then you go and you experience that. And A, the person in the, that brought the meals could now get sick. The one who goes to the prison might feel drawn or dragged down. Okay. Now, what you want to do is instead of that manipulation and taking it on the sickness, taking on the low vibration, the sadness, the defeat, because what's happening is you're weakening them energetically. You're saying, hey, I know you're sick. I know you're not, you're not capable of providing for yourself. I'm going to do this for you. You go to a prison and you're saying, hey, I know you're not capable. You have... You grew up in a horrible environment. You're not strong enough or wise enough. So I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going to take upon some of this energy for you, which is a very lovely thing to do. That's a very lovely characteristic, but it weakens them. So instead of taking on that energy, because it also weakens you, what you want to do is call upon everything you would want for them. So for instance, if I was in that prison, I could see someone struggling mentally, physically, spiritually. What I'm going to do is call upon everything that I want them to have, everything I wish somebody would have done for me in that situation. I'm going to bless them with understanding, clarity, revelation, spiritual connection, health, beauty, compassion, growth, motivation, the diligence to push it through that they can overcome, that they can be everything that they ever were capable of being, that they can reach that. Do you see the difference from that versus me taking on their doom and gloom? Yeah, absolutely. So that will recalibrate me and them. And you can do this in your mind. You can do this in your prayer. You can ask God to do this. Instead of taking on the woe is me. Woe is me for them. I feel so bad for them. That When you are feeling bad for someone, that is never a good thing. Because you're taking power away from what you really want them to have and what they're wanting to experience. Yeah, and that's not an easy distinction to make because we want to feel empathy. And empathy and feeling sorry for someone can go very hand in hand. And yes, I think we need to draw that line to keep everything moving upwards. Yes. And so, you know, if I had an NDE and I could no longer relate or my husband could no longer relate to me um, instead of, you know, being frustrated and, you know, being recalibrated in that I would then call upon what I would want to happen. I want him to have his own spiritual experiences. When I'm talking about this, that his mind and his imagination will tap into what I'm saying, that he can see it in his mind. I'll, I'll ask that he has his own revelation that he'll have prophetic dreams to get confirmation of the things that I'm saying. So that is a very different conversation than just being defeated and giving up. So I think what you're saying is, to use numbers, if I were a number five and this other person were a number three and we got together, we don't have to both end up being a number four, but I can be a five or even a six and raise that person to a four or five along with me. Absolutely. And... When people use those, like, they'll say, well, I'm empathic. I'm an empath, which is a spiritual gift, right? I feel everybody's energy and I can't even go to the grocery store. I can't watch the news because it just makes me feel horrible. So what they're doing is allowing themselves to take it upon themselves and not stay high. The way that happens is they're judging it 
instead of taking it on, seeing what can be recalibrated, they're taking all those feelings, the information, and then they're judging it like this is bad. This is sinful. This is dark. This is evil. This is wrong. And when we start to place labels on things like that, we cannot recalibrate ourselves and stay high. This is also why Christ hung out with all those people. Because he was never really preaching to them, if you notice. He wasn't trying to correct them. He was accepting them as they were. Now, some people didn't want to be healed and he didn't heal them. Some people didn't want to be corrected, so he didn't correct them. Now, if they asked them directly, if they came to him and said, you know, heal me, he offered it. That's that good manipulation, bad manipulation. And so he never manipulated. And I love that about him. And he wasn't looking at them with judgment, label, the way that I was just saying. So that's why it wasn't affecting him so much. And so he would go and recalibrate when he needed to fill up his cup, but also get revelation on what's next. We are running out of time here, Robin. It has been such a pleasure. Could you put a a brief bow on this whole thing and leave our listeners with a some kind of a message that's going to uplift them today? Absolutely. One of the things that I wish that the world knew is that we are never alone. Very rarely are we even in one room alone, in your own house, in your office, in a store. There are so many things that are above this world, beyond your knowledge, your capacity to understand, that are supernatural, that are divine in nature, there to assist you at all times. But they never overwhelm you or manipulate you. They don't force help on you. They do not force knowledge. They don't even force love upon you. The right spirit is always waiting for the invitation because they're not manipulators. And so all you have to do is invoke and ask, and they're right there to give it to you. And they are in the same delegation with God. God gives certain delegation powers to your loved ones that have passed to supernatural things like angels and messengers. They're all on the same team. And so all you have to do is inquire of this, experiment, ask more questions, seek it out. There is nothing special about me or somebody who has an NDE or has an experience with Christ or something supernatural. It is entitled to everybody, but not everybody has the tools or their school set or they don't believe that they can or they're worthy. But I'm telling you, everybody is capable of this. Everybody is capable of spiritual gifts, to receive revelation, to have prophecy, to have dreams and visions, especially if it's about them or their families. So experiment with this. Seek more. Have more verbal, out loud conversations with God or your spirit guides um, or angels. Whatever it is that you believe in, just start there. Ask different questions. Be a seeker. And you will have some profound experiences if you just keep at it, especially if it's for 16 to 18 seconds, planting that seed, nurturing it every single day. And I promise you, you will have some spiritual experiences, especially if you've had an NDE and you want confirmation. Start inquiring of it, asking for more. Robin, thank you for your insights. I know I've learned something today. I'm sure we all have. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I think you aligning and sharing the stories are have a ripple effect for many people and I'm sure they are the utmost gratitude for you for doing so. 
you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you have found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Thank you.